You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. I'm going to pray as we get into this together. Father, we come to you right now, and I just want to confess my own tendency toward anxiety. And we come from a people who tend toward anxiety. We don't trust you, God. We don't want to depend on you. We want to depend on ourselves. And so, God, as we come to these words that you've given to us in Jesus, we pray that we would be transformed by them. So that we would want that, and more than that, that we would actually do so, that we would trust you. We would depend on you. We'd put away self-sufficiency and anxiety and all that comes with it, that we might live in your kingdom and live in it first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Some of you guys know that, because I've told you the story, but I've never seen a whale or a dolphin, and that's a big bummer for me. That, <laughs> that's a problem for me. I mean, I've been whale watching. I've done my part. The whales didn't come. They, they weren't there. I don't know why. And I've lived in the Puget Sound region for 24 years. Like, I've had ample opportunity and nothing. I haven't, haven't seen a thing. I remember a couple years ago, we were out on Bainbridge Island visiting some friends. We're driving down the road, and there's a string of cars parked along the side of the road overlooking the water. And we, we stop, and we get out, and we're like, what's going on? And everybody's walking back to their vehicles going, oh, you should have seen it. This pot of orcas just went by. It was wonderful. And I'm like... Where are we at here, God? Lord, you withholding from me, Lord? And uh, we went to Hawaii as a family a number of years ago, and I had one goal, swim with dolphins. Is that too much to ask? Just swim with dolphins. That, that was my aim. I even had a friend from Hawaii tell me that she did that all the time growing up. And I took a snorkeling trip to this remote location near a private island. Okay, so we're like away from civilization here. And on our way to the location, I stopped on the boat and asked one of the tour guides, I said, so what do you think the chances are of me swimming with dolphins? Like, just give me a percentage here. And how often do you see dolphins on this trip, basically? And she said, probably about 95% of the time. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Great. Guess what I didn't see even one of on that trip? I I could go to SeaWorld and Shamu would be missing, I think, if I went. She'd like just evaporate when I got there. And this repeated experience has led me to the conclusion that God is withholding marine mammals from me. And I, I say that obviously jokingly, but I think that we can sometimes view God that way in reality. We can kind of think, well, God is cruel. God withholds good things from us. Or maybe we kind of lean more toward the deistic view of God, which, you know, guys like Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, a lot of the founding fathers, and therefore a lot of Americans alive today are at least functional deists. 
Deists would say that God's, it's not so much that he's withholding from us, it's that he's uninvolved. You know, he doesn't bother with silly little things like making sure that I see marine mammals. That's not how God works. He's, he's got more important things to do. Yes, he created the world, but he's, you know, he's hanging out in heaven. He's doing heaven stuff. He doesn't have time to do earth stuff, and he's left that to us humans. Is that true? Is that, is that what God is like? Is, is that what the Bible teaches us about who God is and, and how he works on earth? Because that would be really stressful, wouldn't it? I'd say that would be anxiety-inducing even. Now, come back to the marine mammals thing. I, I don't actually think that God is withholding marine mammals from me, okay? That's just how I cope with the fact that I don't get to see them. Uh, I, don't, I don't have anxiety over seeing whales or dolphins. I don't think about it on a regular basis. But if we believe that God may withhold something from us, or that he is distant or uninvolved, we will have ongoing anxiety. I wonder if you've experienced anxiety like I have. Statistically speaking, anxiety is something that is growing. It's increasing in our culture and in our our country. Uh, From August 2020 to February 2021, Adults with anxiety disorder and depression increased in the U.S. from 36% to 42%. That's a big jump. It's the biggest jump that we've seen in a long time. And now we're creeping up on 50% of Americans who would be diagnosed with that. And, that, and that's just proper, like, official, psychologically diagnosed anxiety. Now... Before I mention anything more about that, I just want to say I'm not kiboshing doctors or, you know, proper diagnoses of psychological disorders. That's not my point. In our text for today, Jesus is actually probably talking about much, much broader terms than psychologically diagnosed anxiety. He probably has in mind anything from debilitating panic attacks all the way down to worrying thoughts like all of us experience from time to time. And whether you are anxious or you love someone who is anxious, you need to hear what Jesus has to say today. You got to hear him. We got to listen. Jesus is going to prove that we don't need to be anxious. And then he's going to teach us how not to be anxious. It's going to be awesome. So we're going to be able to go from anxiety over our material needs to the contentment of all of our needs being met in God. That's Jesus' aim here. And the big idea is our Father's love frees us from temporal anxiety and to eternal fulfillment. And there are going to be six points for us today. So if you guys are note takers, get ready. Here, Here are six points. Number one, don't be anxious. Number two, don't be anxious. Number three, yes, I'm serious, don't be anxious. Number four, don't be anxious. Number five, you guessed it, don't be anxious. And number six, don't be anxious. Now, why, why does Jesus do this? Why is this basically the outline of his talk here? Why, why? Why, why I guess I should say it this way, why is he making the same point over and over and over again? I think it's because this is the nature of anxiety. 
This is how anxiety works, doesn't it? Jesus might tell us, well, don't be anxious. And then what do we do? We go, well, yeah, Jesus, but here's why I do need to be anxious, right? We push back on the truth of what he is teaching us. And so actually for each one of these points, before we hit it, I want to give you what I think the pushback is that Jesus is going to address and take off the table for us, okay? So let's start with point number one, don't be anxious, but here's the pushback. It's like, yeah, Jesus, but I have material needs. I will die without those material needs being met. And he says, don't be anxious. Why not? Because life is not just temporal. Verse 25 in chapter 6, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And remember where we are. Last week, we looked at the love of money. And Jesus said that you cannot worship the money God and the true God at the same time. And now he says, in that context, he says, therefore, don't be anxious about having enough money for your life's needs. He's saying this is a worship issue. This is a worship issue. And he's saying this is not what life is about. What is life about, according to Jesus' definition? Well, he actually doesn't tell us explicitly here. He will answer that question in full in verse 33. We'll get there. But here, he only teaches us that life is more than our temporal needs. It's not less than them. So don't, don't mishear Jesus. He's not saying those things are unimportant. Yes, we still have temporal needs, but life is more than that. And so therefore, we shouldn't be anxious. Life is more than the things that we are anxious about, that we worry about. Now, why does he even need to say that? I think he needs to say it because when we are anxious, we are obsessed. We get tunnel vision. We are fixated only on that one thing, right? When we're anxious, we believe that life is only found in that issue getting dealt with. But the truth is, oftentimes, even if we get what we think we need, it doesn't take the anxiety away. It's like that person who you talk to and they're like, oh, I'm really anxious about not having enough money for lunch. And then later, you're like eating lunch with them, and they're like, oh, I'm really anxious about not having enough money for dinner, right? It's, have you ever done something like that? I know I have. We just move on to the next thing. I heard a story about someone who has saved and saved their money because they're stressed about not having enough of it, and they want to feel like they have security. They want to feel secure. But no matter how much money they save, they never feel secure. They've saved up millions and millions of dollars, much more than anyone needs to live off of. They will die before they spend all of that money, and yet they still don't feel secure. Why are they anxious? Because they believe the lie that life is having enough. And Jesus is giving wisdom for that problem. He's saying it's more than that. In fact, this word that we translate as life, the Greek word suche, 
can mean soul or spirit. Jesus is saying you're more than just what you get. You're more than just what you have. You are soul. You are spirit. You're not a receptacle for food and clothes, right? That's not who you are as a human being. You are more than your temporal needs, so don't worry about your temporal needs. So the point is, we have to go back to what end are we made for? What are we made for as human beings? Were we made for eating? Is that, is that why God made us? Or was eating made for us? Were you made for wearing clothes? Is that what you, or, or were clothes made for you? Is, was it like God was you know, creating everything? He's like, man, I just don't know what I'm going to do with all these clothes. I'm going to have to make human beings so I have somewhere to put them. No, of course not. What were we made for? Again, Jesus isn't going to tell us in full until verse 33. For now, he's going to tell us that it's more than that. And then he moves on to the second objection, which is basically, Jesus says, don't be anxious, and we're going, yeah, Jesus, but God doesn't care about my food, so I need to worry. Number two, don't be anxious. Why not? Because you, hear this, you are supremely valued by God. You are supremely valued by God. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus, in his argument for why you don't need to be anxious, he turns he, he turns to nature, basically. He says, look up. And I don't know if you notice this, but all the examples that he gives are from nature. And as 21st century digitized humans, we need to heed his words here. Notice that he doesn't say, hey, don't be anxious, guys. Don't be anxious. Instead, look at TikTok. No, he says, look up. He doesn't say, don't be anxious, instead look at Instagram. (laughs) No, he says, look up. He doesn't say, don't be anxious, work into the wee hours of the night and check your email and your text messages incessantly throughout the day. No, he doesn't say that. He says, look up. Why doesn't he take that approach? Well, it's not just because those things didn't exist in the first century when Jesus said this. That's true, but there's another reason. It's because... Those things won't help your anxiety. They will only increase it. And conversely, Jesus goes to nature because nature reveals God's wisdom. Nature reveals God's wisdom far more than human banter does, right? As Proverbs says, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. God's wisdom is seen in the world that he has made. It's a world of order. It's a world that shouts about God's involvement in it. If we will just stop for just a minute and pay attention and listen up, we gain wisdom to combat anxiety When we look at how God has made things, when we get our head out of the sand and we look up, 
That is what Jesus is calling us to do. As a family, we're moving from one neighborhood in, in West Seattle to another one right now. And praise God, we are in escrow right now on our, on our house. We sold our house and everything looks like it's going to go through just great. And we're temporarily staying at a house that's on the, like near the water. And what I've noticed in staying in a place like this is how attuned you get to nature in ways that I just didn't experience before. We, we were in tree, surrounded by trees, and so I enjoyed like kind of checking out birds and things like that in our, in our last place. But what I'm talking about here is more the, the kind of daily cycles of nature, right? The way that the sun rises and sets, and the way that the moon rises and sets, and, and the tides coming in and out, and the animals gathering their food, especially birds, no orcas so far, okay? <laughs> but mainly birds gathering their food. And, and I will say, I love living in the city. I would personally probably live in a condo in a high-rise if my family wouldn't hate it, okay? Which they would. They would hate that. But what I have realized in becoming more aware of these daily cycles of nature is how much living in a city can cause you to disassociate yourself from the natural world. You can, you can start to just kind of just forget about it. it. Living near the water is giving me this greater appreciation of God's active work that He is orchestrating around us every single day. So why do we need to be more connected to the natural world? Because it proves God's involvement. It proves his involvement. And the more detached that we are from the world around us, the more buried we are in our technology and our buildings, the more we will become anxious. Now, hear me. I'm not saying that we should all like have a mass exodus from the city because cities are bad. Cities are actually the future that Jesus has promised us, right? We're going to a new Jerusalem in the future. That's going to be a wonderful city. I'm not saying we should leave the city. I'm just saying that we should, uh, I believe, that the more distance that we have from the processes God is uh, maintaining every day leads us uh, to sorry, the more distances we have, more distance we have from the processes God is maintaining every single day, the less we will be aware of what He is doing to provide for us the food that we eat and the drink that we have, and we will in- therefore become more anxious. And so Jesus, what does He do? He takes us outside. He takes us outside and he tells us to look up and he asks this rhetorical question, are you of not more value than birds? And of course the answer is supposed to be, yes, you are of far greater value than birds. Why? Because you are a human being. You have been made in God's image with dignity, with glory and honor. And God takes care of all of his creatures, including the birds, but he takes care of people in a special way, over and above the rest. See, God loves us. God loves you. And what should we do with this knowledge that that's true? Well, it should give us confidence that he will provide for our temporal needs. And that is going to lead us 
then to the third objection, which is, yeah, Jesus, but I've got to get this problem resolved or I'll die. Okay? Yeah, Jesus, but I've got to get this problem resolved or I'll die. This is point number three. Do not be anxious. Why? Because anxiety will not give life, but it will take it. Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You know, anxiety is one of many emotions that we carry in our bodies, right? We, we feel it very, very deeply. And as someone who has suffered from anxiety from time to time, I can attest to the fact that it's frequently not even something you know why you're feeling. Sometimes it just comes on, you're... You, you have nothing you're thinking about. You're not worrying about anything. And all of a sudden, your body just kind of kicks in and you're having a panic attack. And so anxiety isn't always something that is the result of cognitive thought, right? Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. And I think Jesus has mainly in mind the kind of anxiety uh, that results from worrying. Not so much the unexplained ambiguous panic that we might experience. And yet the solution for both is the same. And when we do know why we're anxious about something, for example, say I'm anxious about my job, like I'm afraid I'm going to get fired, or I had a big conflict with someone and I'm really dreading encountering them again. When we experience that, the, the visceral assumption of anxiety in one of those moments is that you have got to control the outcome of that situation in order for your life to be okay. You've got to get a handle on it. And Jesus is exposing the lie that you believe in that moment. He says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? What is the lie that you believe in a moment of anxiety? It's I will die if I don't do this. I will die if I don't get this. Or maybe it's the, the, the fear of the opposite. I will die if I have to face this. And maybe not a literal death, okay? Very few of us feel like that's the case in a moment of anxiety, like I will literally die. But a kind of death. This has to be avoided at all costs, or this has to be controlled at all costs. And here's the sad irony. If you believe I will die if th this doesn't happen yet, your anxiety will kill you. That's the sad irony. If you, you believe anxiously fixating on the situation is the only way to save your life from your fear, but the truth is... Being anxious actually robs you of life, and it doesn't get you any closer to your goal. Now, if you've experienced anxiety, I'm sure you don't need me to tell you any of this. I don't think that anyone wants to be anxious. It feels terrible. But Jesus is saying where you are contributing to your anxiety, where you are worrying and cycling over and over on some issue, remember, this kind of thinking tells you it will give you life, but in reality it takes it. So he says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Which leads to the fourth objection. 
yeah, Jesus, but God doesn't care about my clothes, so I need to worry. And you can almost hear him sigh when he says this, like, oh, I thought we already talked about this. (laughs) Number four, don't be anxious. Why not? Because you are supremely valued by God. Yes, that's the same point that we made in verse 26. This is verses 28 through 30. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Just pause here for a second. Solomon was a king in Israel about a thousand years before Jesus. He's like the richest man who ever lived. Okay, And he was kind of a fashion icon in Israel, if you will. He was thought of to have the best clothes, the best material, the best design. You know, it, it would be kind of like Jesus saying, even Kim Kardashian in all her glory was not arrayed like one of these lilies. Something to that effect, although probably she, she well, I won't go into that. Okay. So, but if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? All the clothes that we acquire are nothing compared to the clothes that God decorates the fields with. That's what Jesus is saying. Now the point here is the same as in verse 26. You are supremely valued by God. You are loved by God. But here he also rebukes the underlying heart problem with anxiety, and that is that you have little faith, that you you don't trust God, you doubt God. You might say, well, what exactly does faith have to do with it? Hebrews 11.1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So having faith is, is... having absolute confidence that what God has promised will come true. It's believing the future as though it has already happened. That's the whole conviction of things not seen part of it. So it's believing God for His promise. But just because something has not yet been seen doesn't mean that faith is blind. Jesus is not saying, just shut up and believe. (laughs) That's not his point. He's saying, look at all these proofs that you can hang your heart on. Look at the concrete, rational truths around you. Now use those material realities to build your faith in the immaterial realities that are just as true. What are those immaterial realities? It's that God's future hasn't yet passed. And faith in God's future leads to faithfulness today. Faith leads to living in ways that accord with trusting God. And so Jesus is not promoting some kind of holy laziness, okay? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying sit around like lilies and wait for everything to fall into your lap. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying, you know, Live in your mom's basement playing video games until all your troubles have been solved by God. That's not what he's telling us to do. That would actually contradict the rest of Scripture. He's saying, in the midst of the actions that you take, 
in the midst of the work that you do, in the stewardship of your resources, don't be anxious. Instead, have faith that God will provide for you as you faithfully do your part. If you really believe that God is your provider, you will act, but you won't be anxious. And I want to come back to a modern problem that we have uh, with this, and that is part of why we don't have faith that God will take care of us is because of our detachment from natural processes, as I, as I just mentioned just a few moments ago. Think about back in Jesus' day, okay, in an, an agrarian society. If you uh, tilled the soil and you planted a seed and you watched the rain fall, the rain that you did not put there, right, no sprinklers, you watched that rain fall while you worked to maintain the field, it was easy to see that you were dependent on God to work in ways that you had absolutely no control over, Right? But today, what do we do? We think that we provide our food and drink and clothing, right? It'd be like if I went up to you and I said, where did you get that food from? You'd be like, oh, the store. Okay, where did they get it from? Well, probably another bigger store, like a, a warehouse. Okay, where did they get it from? Probably like a distribution center. Okay, where did they get it from? Some manufacturing facility. You get what I mean, right? We think that we provide our food and drink and clothing because we work, we get a paycheck, and we use it to buy food and drink and clothing with our money, right? I made all of this happen is what we think. I remember trying to explain this to our daughters when they were really little. They were like three years old or something, and, and later Emily asked them what they thought I did for work, and they said, he sings and puts money in the bank. Uh, <laughs> so I don't think I did a very good job explaining the process of God giving me abilities that I use for His glory so that people can pay me money for the work that I do so I can provide for our family and all of that kind of a thing. You see, in reality, even our job, our ability to do it, and the faithfulness of our labor are all from God's hand. All of it. But it's not just that we are detached from natural processes that makes it hard to have faith in our modern American world. There's also the reality of our wealth. I think this is a barrier to faith. Most people in America are not poor. Only around 11% in terms of like proper uh, poverty category. Most of us enjoy a standard of living that far exceeds the life of the average person on earth today and especially throughout history. Friends, we are rich. We are rich. Eating, drinking, clothing ourselves is really fairly easy to do, right? In fact, you may have even been thinking this whole time that we've been talking about these issues like, Jesus, I ain't worried about food and water and clothes, except for maybe a small handful of people who have, you know, those five-gallon buckets of food in their basement for the nuclear holocaust. I know, I know you, there's maybe one or two of you guys in here. But seriously, even if you don't have a, a job or, or money, 
there are enough social services where you can probably get your basic needs taken care of. And praise God that we live in a country with so many resources available. Many poor across the globe aren't as fortunate. And yet, we, the rich people, we still worry. Which seems strange. If we don't need to be worried about basic needs, what are we even worried about? I think that we're probably worried that we won't have a comfortable life. If I could just confess, I think we're worried that we won't have a comfortable life, that we're so used to expecting a certain standard of comforts that in our minds, if we don't have them, we might as well be living in a mud hut or sleeping in a gutter somewhere. Right? And I think, I don't know if it's just getting older or, uh, I don't know. For me, this seems to be growing in my life. I've noticed that the list of what is a mandatory or, or standard in my life has grown. It's not just running water that I need. I need my hot water to show up right now. I want to just turn on that hot water thing and I just want it right now. I don't even want to have to wait, Right? And, and I want that faucet to I want have a certain feel and a certain look to it, right? The, the, these are the things that, uh, these are standards that I've created in my own mind. We do this even with like streaming services. It's like, I don't want to just have Netflix. I need, a, I need HBO Max. I need Prime Video. I need Disney Plus. And if, praise God, we don't have cable anymore, right? <laughs> we just have like... 50 different streaming services that we subscribe to. Our, our belief that we need a comfortable life is a barrier to trusting God. But Jesus is going to show that this kind of living, it's essentially pagan. The fifth objection is, yeah, Jesus, but everyone is doing it. That's what he's addressing here. Point number five, don't be anxious. Why not? Because it's the way of the world. Verses 31 and 32. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. You might remember earlier in chapter 6, in verses 7 and 8, when Jesus was teaching us to pray, he said almost the exact same thing that he says right here. And when we went through that, we talked about how Gentiles are not necessarily non-Jews in this case, it's, it's pagans, it's the world, it's people who don't know God. And so what he's saying is not only is seeking after material possessions a pagan practice or a godless practice, but it neglects the life that is found in depending on God's care. Jesus reminds us that God is not distant. He is not uninvolved or uncaring. He is our loving, heavenly Father, and He knows our needs. He knows our needs. And unlike our earthly fathers, He always perfectly loves us he has unlimited ability to perfectly provide for us. And if you're a Christian, you get to actually know and enjoy this loving relationship more the more you learn to depend on Him for everything, the more that you learn to seek Him for these things, 
the more that you will find him through these things. And so the sixth objection this is the final one, the sixth objection. Yeah, Jesus, but I've run out of objections at this point. I hope that's where you're at at this point. I think that's what Jesus is trying to get us to, to see, that there's no more objection that we can give to him. And so he gives us an alternative to anxiety. Number six, don't be anxious. Instead, seek God. Verse 33 and 34. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What's the difference between the seeking after these things that Jesus talked about that the Gentiles or pagans do versus seeking first the kingdom of God? See, he's contrasting those. What's the difference? The difference is these are two different kingdoms, two different masters, two different gods. Jesus is saying, you don't belong to that God, you belong to this one, your heavenly Father. So don't be anxious, rather seek after Him. And friends, this is the solution to anxiety. Seek after God. Anxiety by its nature is seeking after something other than God. Did you know that? Man, that hit me like a ton of bricks this week. As I told you, I'm someone who tends to struggle with anxiety. And I realize, by the way, this wasn't a blow in like a negative way. This, this actually smashed my desire to control things and have some sense of self-reliance, and it actually freed me up to return to God in all of those things. Even better than the freedom from the death of self-reliance and control is the fact that Jesus redirects our hearts to God where we can find life. We can find life. See, he said, it's not just don't be anxious. It's also be dependent. Change your orientation. Stop seeking after whatever you think is going to free you from your anxiety and start seeking after God. Remember back in verse 25 when Jesus said that life is more than food and clothing. Here's what he means. Here's what that more is. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this righteousness that Jesus is talking about, it's not salvation and vindication and those kinds of things, but it's the kind of life that God requires of us. It's that holistic living we've been talking about this whole time in the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is saying, more than anything, more than material concerns of any sort, seek to know God's will and His ways and align yourself totally with Him, and that will give you life. Yet even though God will give us life, we can always have faith that He will take care of us and He will provide for us. But it doesn't guarantee that our life will be without problems. He doesn't guarantee us a problem-free life. Jesus actually points this out in verse 34. He says, tomorrow will be anxious for itself. He's saying there's plenty to be anxious about. 
He's not dismissing that fact, but he's saying that's exactly why we don't need to worry about it. That's his point. If there are problems ahead, why do we want to multiply them by being anxious about them in the meantime? You see, anxiety, it lies to us. It says that it will deal with the potential problems of the future, but instead it only increases them. Anxiety says that it has the power to predict all possible outcomes and save you from the pain of the worst ones. But we know that's a lie. Being anxious about it doesn't do it any good. And anxiety only adds pain in the meantime. It only multiplies our troubles. And so Jesus says, let's replace that with a kingdom vision. Let's replace that with something so much more life-giving and beautiful. He wants us to think, what would be different in the world if people weren't anxious about these things? What would it look like if everyone perfectly enjoyed and trusted God to provide? Well, we wouldn't have people hoarding. We wouldn't have starvation. We wouldn't have people stealing. We wouldn't have people being lazy, right? We would all have more peace both inwardly and outwardly in our relationships. We would all be more generous. We would all be more satisfied. We would all share more. We would all be more fulfilled. That's the vision of the world that Jesus is leading us to as we depend on God. Our Father's love frees us from temporal anxiety and to eternal fulfillment. The hidden message underneath everything that Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount is that he has come to reorient humanity heavenward. That's what he's doing. He wants us to be pointed towards eternity. He said he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God, and you don't know life. And so Jesus wants to invite you to him. He wants to invite you to the life that is found in him. He came to live for us, to die for us, to rise for us, so that he might live with us for all of eternity. I want you to experience that life. Come to Jesus today. Bring him your sin. Bring him your sorrow. Bring him your anxiety. And find life in Him. God doesn't just provide for our temporal needs. Through Jesus, He provides for our eternal needs. He gives us all that we need. Friends, let's come to Him today. Let's bring Him our troubles. Let's bring Him our sins, our anxieties, our desires. And find life in Him. Our community group questions to kind of spark the conversation this week. Are you, are you anxious about not having something? Could be peace in a relationship. It could be some temporal, physical need or desire. Why are you anxious about it? In what ways are you tempted to push back on Jesus' teaching about anxiety? And lastly, in what ways does Jesus' teaching free you from anxiety? Let's pray and then we'll respond to him. Father, it is so good to know that you value us, that you value human life. No matter who we are, 
no matter what we've done, no matter what has been done to us, you value us, you love us. God, thank you for this truth that you are our loving Heavenly Father who provides our every need, including eternal life in Jesus. And God, we pray that you would orient our hearts now away from temporal things and into eternity with you. Free us, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.